It is an absolute joy to be here, an absolute privilege really to come and just share with you and have the opportunity to do that. And I trust this morning that God is going to really bless you. It's, it is pretty amazing that um, my father is here, Cedric, Ryan is here, Jean-Michel singing one of my favorite songs, Hungry, I love that song. And uh, just uh, being able to see how good God is and how good he has been in this church, being able to see uh, physically, tan- tangibly, the, the baton being passed on. This church being founded by my father, me leading it for a short space of time, the baton coming through me, bat- going to run. And lovely to see these youngsters on stage because that's what it's about. That baton's going to be passed down the generations. This is a good church. This church formed and shaped me in a great way for, for more than 25 years. I, I grew up with this church. Um, many of you probably won't know me, but hopefully by the end of this morning, we'll be friends. It's been great just to uh, catch up with my parents uh, over the last uh, couple of two weeks and uh, just to see them. It's, uh, it was great yesterday just to catch up with Louis and Ryan, my brothers in Christ, and see how fired up they are. And uh, many of you know Joe and Pam. I stayed with them last night, Joe and Pam Cawthorn. I was hoping to get some sleep last night, but Joe just does not stop talking. (laughs) Anyway, God bless him. He's a good guy and I love him. So it's really special for me to say hello to old friends and, uh, of course, to make new friends uh, this morning. I felt God lay on my heart a message uh, to share. In fact, what I'd done in Perth. Oh, by the way, the church in Perth, the church that I'm a part of, Renew, we've been going, we started in COVID. We've been going for two years now. We just started up and God's doing a great work. They say hello to you and I better not forget my wife, Debbie. She also sends her regards to you. Um, But as I was waiting on the Lord, I I kind of thought, well, I'm going to do a message on um, the big story of God and our part in that, uh, the little story. Uh, But then before I left Perth, uh, I felt God say to me, no, you need to change that. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know, we're living in a world these days that is so filled with division and anger and hatred and bitterness. I'm sure many of you are aware of that. I'm sure you look around your daily lives and you see that stuff happening. it's on a scale that I've, I've never really seen or experienced in, in, in my life globally. And as Christians, we can so easily get caught up in the way of the world that we forget about the kind of life that Jesus calls us to. And so all too often, Christians can find themselves living lives that are as entrenched in the divisiveness of the world around us, the world that we live in. So much so that we forget about grace and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. But you know, if Christianity is about anything, it is about forgiveness. It is about forgiveness. This is so central to life as a believer. And this morning, I'm not talking about forgiveness as a way of escaping punishment. I'm not talking about forgiveness as a way of escaping justice. But I'm speaking to the church this morning about forgiveness as the path to reconciliation and restoration. Forgiveness which restores the broken relationship between God and His people. Forgiveness which has the capacity to achieve peace and reconciliation in all human relationships. 
You know, Jesus was the one who taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, Jesus taught us to pray these words, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When Jesus hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. After his resurrection, Jesus said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And in the Apostles' Creed, we are taught to confess, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. So if Christianity is about anything, it is about forgiveness. But it's easier spoken about than done, right? Easier to talk about forgiveness than really live it out. And I get that. I mean, the insanity of the world in which we're living makes it hard. There are people out there who do horrific things. There are people who just do terrible, horrible things. Children are murdered in this world. Women get raped. There's child abuse. I cry a lot. So, you just deal with it, okay? You wait for me. There's awful stuff that's going on. There's cheating in marriage vows. There's domestic violence. You live with this, I live with this. Corruption, embezzlement, fraud, wars, persecution. And as a result of all these terrible things, we have broken hearts and broken lives, broken marriages, broken psyches. We have relational damage beyond calculation. Now, I think this morning we can all acknowledge, you know, that we, we can't live in this world without some level of forgiveness, right? We've we, we, we got to offer forgiveness to some extent, yeah? I mean, every single day, you know, you're going to go to work tomorrow or go to whatever space you find yourself in and somebody's probably going to say something insensitive to you. You know, you've got a husband or a wife who forgets to pay a bill. You know, you've got a dog, your neighbor's dog, <laughs> barks all night long. You know, like you can't get a good night's sleep. You know, you've got a child who comes along and t- they got dirty hands and they put those dirty fingerprints all over the wall. And so you can't live your life without overlooking or moving past some level of annoyance or inconvenience or insensitivity. You know, you've got you to offer forgiveness in those things. Otherwise, your life's just going to be terrible. But I want to ask you this morning, what about the really, really big things? What about real evil? What about real betrayal? There was a Jewish man, his name was Simon Weisenthal, and he wrote a book. You can Google this, you can order it if you like. It's a great book. He wrote a book about 50 years ago called The Sunflower. And Weisenthal was an Austrian Jew, and he got imprisoned in a Nazi uh, concentration camp during World War II. And he got assigned to to do uh, cleanup work in in a field hospital. And one day while he was working in this field hospital, a German nurse came along and ordered Weisenthal to follow her. And so he got taken into a room where there was a soldier who was on this this bunk, and uh, he was an SS soldier bleeding, dying, bandages all over him. And this soldier had asked the nurse to bring him a Jew because he was dying and he wanted to make his last confession. 
And he wanted his last confession to be to a Jew. So here's the soldier. He's all bandaged up. And Simon Weisenthal is in the room with him. They're alone together. And this dying soldier, this SS soldier, tells Weisenthal that he was raised in a Christian family, that he was raised in a church. He tells Weisenthal, this Jew, that his, his parents were not supporters of the Nazis. He decided on his own to join the Nazis, and specifically at the age of 18, he decided to become part of the SS, this guy dying on this bunk. And then he told Weisenthal that he was part of a group of SS soldiers who one day rounded up 300 people, 300 Jewish people, men, women, and children, and they herded them into a three-story house, and then they set that house on fire. And any Jew who tried to escape from that burning house, the SS soldiers shot. And so this soldier says to Simon Weisenthal, he says, I'm dying now, and I wanted to confess to a Jew how sorry I am for what I've done and for what I've become. And I want to read to you his final words. The soldier says to Simon Weisenthal, I'm left here with my guilt. In the last hours of my life, you are here with me. I don't know who you are. I only know that you are a Jew, and that is enough. I know what I've told you is terrible. In the long nights while I've been waiting for death, time and time again, I've longed to talk to a Jew about this and beg forgiveness from him. Only I didn't know if there were any Jews left. I only know what I'm asking is almost too much for me. But without your answer, I cannot die in peace. And so he was asking for forgiveness. And Simon Weisenthal believed that the man was being sincere and that he was truly sorry. But as he sat there, he couldn't bring himself to say a word. He just got up and left the room. Simon Weisenthal died in 2005. He, he was 96 years old. He was a great humanitarian. But in this book that he wrote, The Sunflower, he posed the question, what should I have done? Should I have offered the man forgiveness? And in the second part of this book, um, they asked, uh, the, the publishers asked 53 prominent thinkers and influential people um, to, to answer this question. Should Simon Weisenthal have offered that soldier forgiveness? And amongst these people were Muslims, Christians, atheists, philosophers. They had to respond to this question. Should Weisenthal have offered the soldier forgiveness? 28 of the 53 said, absolutely not. Under no circumstance, under no condition, can you offer forgiveness. 16 of them kind of said, maybe, maybe there's a way that you can offer forgiveness. Nine of them weren't sure. And so today what I want to talk about is what's at the heart of the message of Jesus. What Jesus modeled, what he commanded. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18 this morning. We're going to look at verse 21 and 22. Uh, and I, I just need to tell you, uh, I don't know how, I, I know amongst us, I met somebody this morning who's done an honors in theology. And uh, so maybe there's some others who have that kind of theological depth and background. And you'll know if that's you, um, that there is a dispute between uh, Bible scholars and translators about what Jesus actually said in Matthew 18, 22. So there are differences in the original translations. But I'm going to read here from the New International Version. 
So Matthew tells us that Peter came to Jesus and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered and he said, I tell you, not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. 77 times. So Peter goes to Jesus and he asks the question, how many times? And before Jesus can even answer, Peter's like, seven times? Seven times? You know, I'm being incredibly generous over here. Seven times, Lord, you know. Seven is a divine number in the Bible. It's, a, it's the number for wholeness and com- com- completion, perfection. So Peter's obviously thinking, you know, surely forgiving seven times, you know, that's, that's the right thing to do. But you all know the problem with counting the number of times for forgiving, right? You know what the problem is? It's that you're counting, right? You're counting. And so what you're saying by throwing out a number, whether it's three or five or seven, is you're saying, I'm just waiting, man. I'm going to forgive you today. I'll forgive you tomorrow. But I'll tell you what, next week, I've done my seven tap forgiving. I'm going to have my revenge. That's what you do when you're counting. Because in that mindset, forgiveness has a limit. It's not infinite. You know, it's like saying this Christian forgiveness thing, you know, it's a nice idea. You know, come on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, we've won. Jesus forgive. You know, lovely, beautiful. You go to work tomorrow. Nah, it's a different story. I'm in the real world now. Can't forgive anybody, man. You, you don't understand. This is the world I'm living in. I've got to, I've got to get onto something more realistic than, 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 than forgiveness. But let's look at the answer that Jesus gives over here. He says to Peter, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And it could actually be that Jesus said 77 times. The uh, translators differ over here between versions. But if Jesus did say 77 times, he might be or might have been referencing uh, an obscure person back in the book of Genesis, a man whose name was Lamech. And here's what we read about Lamech in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Lamech comes in and he says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, he says, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I killed a man. I killed a man for wounding me. A young man who injured me, I killed him. I tell you, wives, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Now, the Lamech approach to doing life is you don't get angry, you get even. Yeah? You repay. You up the ante. Man, I tell you what, you say something unkind to me, I'm going to badmouth you. You punch me, I'll sue you. You bomb my house, I'll bomb your country. And that's actually what ended up happening with this Lamech approach to doing life. And it resulted in a massive outbreak of evil that took place in the day of Noah that God had to judge. You see, Jesus comes and he's proposing a very different way of doing life than the Lamech way. When Lamech promised to take revenge 77 times, Jesus told Peter that he must forgive 77 times. So instead of escalating the violence, instead of like a tit-for-tat approach, you know, back and forth, Jesus is saying there is a way of doing life, of not returning fire, of repeatedly forgiving, repeatedly offering pardon, repeatedly offering restoration instead of vengeance. Can you just imagine for a moment if our world, this world that we're living in today in 2021, didn't follow 
the Lamech approach of escalating violence. A world, can you imagine a world that actually puts into practice what Jesus taught? You see, Jesus introduces us to a different way. He introduces us to the kingdom way. And what he's talking about there is a new kind of way of doing things, a new kind of world, a new creation. And I guess the question probably for many of us sitting in this room this morning is, do we have the space in our hearts to truly embrace what Jesus taught? Have we walked through those doors and said, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but to an extent? Have we really got the, fa- the space in our hearts to embrace what Jesus taught? Let's look at another, another possible translation of Matthew 18, 22. And this is from the King James Version. And in the King James Version, it says that Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Right? So it's a difference in translation from the NRV. Now, if that's what Jesus said, this 70 times seven could be referring back to the book of Daniel and Daniel's prophecy regarding the death of the Messiah. Here's what Daniel said in Daniel 9.24. 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. This idea of 70 times 7 or 77s has got to do with God's way of dealing with sin and transgression. It's got to do with God's way of dealing with hurt and offense by putting an end to it. And the way God puts an end to it is through atonement. It's through forgiveness. So can I ask you, New Life, how much must we forgive? How far does this forgiveness thing go for a Christian? You're still waking up. It's a trick question. I'm not putting my hand up. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. Many of you know these words. You know, very often these words are read at at, uh, weddings. Unfortunately, these words are not always lived out in, in, in marriages. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 4 through to 7, Paul writes, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And look at these words. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So how many times can someone sin against you and you keep forgiving them? Well, if you keep no record of wrongs, I guess it's an, it's an infinite number of times, isn't it? It's an infinite number of times. The implication from Jesus here is that forgiveness has no limits. No limits. And you know, sometimes with really big things, it's not that a person has done 77 different wrongs to you or 70 times seven different wrongs to you. Far too often, the wrong is just one thing. It's just one thing that's happened to you in your life and you cannot get over it. 
Your spouse was unfaithful. You got assaulted sexually. You were the victim of an act of violence. You were treated unfairly. Just that one thing. And still, you struggle with it. Still, you cannot get over it. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, there's no use talking as if forgiveness were easy. We find the work of forgiveness has to be done over and over again. We mortify our resentment, but you know, a week later, some chain of thought carries us back to the original offense, and we discover the old resentment blazing away as if nothing had been done about it at all. He writes here, he says, we need to forgive our brother 70 times seven, not only for 490 offenses, but for one offense. And you know, I've seen this in my own life where I, time after time, I've had repeatedly, I've had to go back to an incident in my life and I've had to forgive again what I thought had already been forgiven. And I've heard plenty of people come to me as a pastor where people have said to me, I can't do that. I can't forget. I can't forgive. I can't, I, I just can't. I have a limit. There's no ways I'm going to do that. I, I, I give up, man. I can't forgive. This thing is too big in my life. I'm not God. I got no patience. I'm at the end of my rope. I cannot forgive. And normally, it's over one big thing. And I understand those feelings. And Jesus understands how we feel. And so he goes on after Peter asks this question, and he tells a story in Matthew chapter 18. Let's look at the story, verse 23 through to 27. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him and he says to the king, be patient with me, be pa I'm gonna pay you back everything. I know I owe, I'll pay you back everything. And the king, the servant's master, takes pity on him and he cancels the debt and he lets him go. Now, of course, as with many of Jesus' parables, Jesus is the king in the story. And in the story, the servant owes 10,000 bags of gold, but actually it's 10,000 talents. A talent was a currency in, in, in the ancient Roman world. And I don't know what kind of Bible you have, but normally uh, at the bottom of our Bibles, you'll find that there's some notes there. And you might find in your Bible some notes which will tell you that um, one talent was about 20 years worth of wages for the average worker. 20, one talent. So 10,000 talents is what he owes. One talent is worth 20 years of, of wages uh, for the average worker. So we're talking here about 200,000 years of work. Are you getting to grips with what Jesus is saying over here? He's saying that there was a servant who owed the king an absurdly large amount of debt that he would never, ever, ever, ever be able to repay. And yet the king forgave the debt. So when we talk about how much we should forgive, Jesus says, listen, when it comes to forgiveness, this goes all the way. It goes all the way. There are no limits. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he taught this, but he not only taught it, he, he modeled it for us. He put it into practice. 
He was so radical that he actually lived out this forgiveness thing. When Jesus hung on that cross, what did he pray? Did he pray, Father, get them? Father, bring down fire from heaven, consume them? What did Jesus say to Peter when Peter pulled out his sword in the garden and he was, he was going to defend Jesus on the night he was arrested? Did Jesus look at Peter and say, well done, Peter. Come on, go get him, man. Knock him dead. Kill them. Slaughter them. Woo, good on you, Peter. No. He said, you can't live in that world, Peter. You can't live in that Lamech world where violence is done in return for violence. He said, Peter, you don't get it. You're living in the way of Lamech. You're living in this world of payback. Jesus said to him, I've come to introduce you to a different world. And he modeled it as he hung on that cross, bleeding and dying, when he prayed, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive who? Forgive the Roman soldiers. Forgive the religious authorities who pulled him in front of the Sanhedrin. Forgive Pontius Pilate. Yes, forgive all of them. But most importantly, Jesus was saying, forgive you. Forgive me. You know, Jesus forgives us for the things that, that we sh should have done, which we didn't do. And he forgives us for the things that we didn't do that we should have done. No limits. No limits. And maybe this morning you, you're going like, well, how do I do this? If, if I've got this thing in my life and I've been able, unable to get over it, how do, I, how do I deal with this? Well, you know, so often when it comes to forgiveness, what we do with forgiveness is we look at the other person. We start with the other person. We look at the one who's offended us, who's hurt us in some way, who's caused the pain, and, and we want to look at what they've done. But if you really want to deal with this in your own life, we do not start with the other person's sins. No, we get down on our own knees, and we begin with what's going on in here. And we come before God on our knees, and we list all of them and everything that passes through our mind and our heart that God already knows about, everything that we've done everything that we've failed to do, every command of God that you have broken, your attitude, your pride, your self-centeredness, your meanness, your judgments. We go through those things in detail before God. And then when we understand the ocean of grace that has been given to us, that God has forgiven us of those things, out of that ocean of grace, it becomes possible to take a cup of cold water and offer it to that person. I think this becomes easier when we, when we really put an effort into understanding forgiveness. So let's quickly jump back to the story here in Matthew chapter 18. Let's look at verses 26 through to 31. We see that the servant falls on his knees before the king and he says, be patient with me. He begs him. He says, I'm going to pay back everything. The, the, the king, the servant's master, takes pity on him. He cancels the debt and he lets him go. But then... The servant goes out and he finds one of his colleagues. He finds a fellow servant who owes him a hundred silver coins. He owed the king 10,000 bags of gold. This guy only owes him a hundred silver coins. And what does this dude? He grabs it by the neck. He begins to choke him. He says, pay back what you owe me. And his fellow servant does exactly what this guy had done before the king. He falls to his knees and he begs him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Remember, Jesus is telling the story. But he refused. And instead, he goes off and he has this colleague, this other man, thrown into prison until he can pay the debt. 
And the, the scripture says, when the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. You see, the man in the story here does not understand forgiveness. He's living in that old world. He's living in, in, in a world that's not received revelation or enlightenment, enlightenment in God. He's living in that world of payback, that Lamech world, that, that world of law, that world of retribution. He's not living in the world that Jesus came to introduce. He's not living in the kingdom that Jesus came to introduce, which you and I are supposed to be living in. The kingdom, which is about a world of mercy and forgiveness. This guy in the story can't even imagine a world like that. And so when he's confronted with this debt, he says in, in verse 26, he says, I'm going to pay you back everything. He says to the king, I'll pay you back everything. This guy doesn't even understand how big his debt is. He's going to pay it back. In 200,000 years, he's got no idea how deep the hole is that he's fallen into. The servant is living in a world of law and performance. And you know, sadly, that's the way so many so-called Christians are in their relationship with God. They don't fully understand the grace of God. They don't understand the world that Jesus came to bring. They don't understand anything really about the kingdom. And that's why you find so many Christians getting burned out. You find so many Christians getting so angry. You find them getting their noses out of joint. They become hostile to other Christians. They leave the church. They decide, I'm not going to that church anymore. And they go and try another 10 churches. And it's one church to the next church. Or they just stop going to church. They become part of the de-churched. Because they don't understand the grace of God. And it's because they've never really truly experienced mercy for themselves. And so because they've never really come to that place of understanding the mercy of God, they've got no place to draw from when it comes to offering mercy to someone else. And so this man turns to his fellow servant who owes him a much smaller debt and living in his world of law and retribution in Lamech's world, this guy demands justice. You know, folk, I just want to tell you this morning, you, you, me, we, we can become a Christian in a moment. In a moment. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Pray a prayer. But to become Christian is another matter altogether. In churches, we're really good at teaching people how to become a Christian. You know, we teach people how to receive the forgiveness avail that's available in Christ. And, and, and that's not a bad thing. But we've not been nearly so good at teaching people how to become Christian. How to become Christ-like in a way that helps fill a world that's bent on vengeance with the grace of forgiveness. We ought to be a people who believe Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said there's a better way for us to live. And it's the way of forgiveness. We're to be a people who not only believe the good news of forgiveness, but we become the good news. We become the good news and we put the message into practice. Let's quickly jump back to the story because there's something really important here that we should know. In verse 32 to 35, it says, The master called that servant back in and he said, You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus said this, now get these words, underline them in your Bibles, highlighted on your Bible app. Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you 
forgive a brother or sister from your heart. When we don't forgive, what Jesus is saying is that we're going to be chained to the injustice that we've suffered. That thing's going to go with you. You don't forgive, Jesus says, then you're going to be imprisoned by what's been done to you. It's going to have a hold on you. If you don't forgive, you're going to continue to live in a bitter and twisted response to your past. The evil that was done to you is going to win in your life and it's forever going to shape your life. When you don't forgive, you never move on. And if you don't forgive, you can't receive forgiveness. Tom Wright, who is a really excellent theologian, gives a great illustration of what Jesus meant when he said, this is how your heavenly father will treat you if you don't forgive from your heart. He he explains this. He says, what Jesus is not saying is what a parent might say to a stingy child, right? A parent might come along and say, son, you didn't share your sandwich with a hungry man today. Therefore, you get no dinner tonight. Right? says, that's not what Jesus is saying. He says, no, what he's saying rather is that forgiveness is like air in your lungs. If you don't let that air out, you have no ability to inhale any more of the air of forgiveness. You have to give forgiveness away in order to be able to receive forgiveness for yourself. I want to close with a couple of thoughts here. Forgiveness is not a cheap thing. And you know, when we've been, when we've been really wounded or when some, someone that we love dearly has been really wounded, forgiveness so often is like, you know, it's, just, it's a quick thing. You know, we, we quickly go, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I, I forgive you. I forgive you in Jesus. We, we're quite quick to do that. And, and so often what I see in myself and I see in people who talk with me about hurts that they've been through, hurts that they've suffered, is that those kinds of quick words, that kind of quick forgiveness is like cutting a weed down at the stem. And we're not taking the time to dig out the roots. And so what happens is that weed grows back again. And so deep down in our heart, we've not dealt with that issue. We've not dealt with what's gone on, what's happened to me in my life or you in your life. And so there's that revenge that is still sitting there. We kind of harbor that revenge and we're happy when harm comes to the person who's hurt me or who's hurt my loved one. I get, yeah, yeah, good or not, they're getting what they deserved. You know, we're happy at bad news about that person. We get happy when other people criticize those people. We get happy when people join us in our hatred of them. Jesus is teaching us a different way to live. He says, I want you to forgive completely and utterly. He says, what you've got to do is dig out that root. Go all the way deep down into your heart. Come before God and tell God, what this person has done. That's what we've got to do. We've got to say, God, this has happened to me. It's awful. It's terrible. I'm struggling to forgive. This person has stolen from me. They took my innocence. They stole my respect. They stole my trust. They stabbed me in the back. God, that's what this person did. This is what they took from me. You see, what you've got to do is tell God everything that's happened. Tell him about all the consequences that have happened as a result of what happened to you. And then what Jesus is saying is that before God, you take that debt, you take that bill, and you tear it up. Father, this person owes me so much. They've wounded me so deeply. 
but I'm going to tear up the bill. I'm going to turn this over to you. I can't have this root in my life because if I keep this here, it's going to land up destroying me. It's going to kill me. See, we've got to be the kind of people who press in and say, Father, I want to enter into the new world that Jesus came to bring. I want to be a kingdom person. I want to live in a world of forgiveness and mercy. And no no matter how hard it may be, no matter how difficult it might be for me, God, I'm going to press in. And sometimes you're going to need to do that multiple times, 70 times seven, again and again and again and again. I choose to turn this person over to you. Lord, let me live in your world of forgiveness. Amen. I just feel like there's some of you where Andrew was kind of hitting the nail on the head in your life with the things you're going through. And I I just want to pray for you, really, that you'll be obedient to Scripture and what God is clearly challenging us to do. So let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, which is living and active and sharper than even a double-edged sword, God, that can divide even between bone and marrow. And so, God, I lift every hard heart to you. And I pray, Father God, that you would do the softening, the renewing, the breaking through. God, that we would see that forgiveness is a better way. Father, that we would see that there is freedom in you. And it is for freedom, Christ, that you set us free. So right now, in Jesus' name, I want to speak that freedom into this room. I want to speak your freedom into people's hearts and lives. In the name of Jesus, I want to rebuke unforgiveness and bitterness in people's lives, that root of bitterness that has taken hold. And God, I pray that we would find within you, within the willingness to let these things go and give them to you, God, that we would find a new sense of peace and love and freedom, that we would truly look like Christians, like your children, not, not just speak it and put that label on ourselves, but God, that we would, we would function like Christians, like your children. And so we pray, God, that you would help us in that journey for everyone who's struggling. May there be a new season of release and forgiveness, I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.